Good morning, church. Would you stand with me as we get ready to worship this morning? Before we get started, um, I wanted us to focus on not turning back. Uh, the songs that we're singing today are very heavily focused on the goodness of God throughout every season and choosing Him every chance that we get. Um, but this concept of no turning back, I have decided to follow Jesus, has been playing in my mind over and over and over again, more than just because we're singing it. And I started thinking of um, how powerful turning back is in our lives. And I don't just mean it like an apostasy sort of way. I mean, think of what we do to turn back in our normal lives. When things get tough, when we get tired, when we're scared, when we feel helpless, what do we do? We turn to things that are nostalgic, that are comforting, that are things that soothe our soul. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. But a lot of times, those are things that overpower the power that Jesus has to instead come in and bring his own presence, bring his own healing into those places. And I think that nostalgia, as beautiful as it is in plenty of ways, can also be wielded by the enemy to distract us from choosing Jesus at every opportunity because it paints the past, things that we've had, things that we've done, things that we've gone through with rose-colored glasses, right? And we see it all throughout the Bible. You have Lot's wife who's fleeing from Sodom of Gomorrah, literally the most evil place in all of existence, but it was her home. It's what she knew. It's what she grew up with and loved. So she turns back and ruins her. We have the Israelites who were literal slaves. And yet, as soon as the wilderness gets rough, as soon as they can't get into the promised land when they would like, how they would like, they wish for slavery over freedom. It is very easy for us in all of the ways that life hits us on a day-to-day -day basis, both in moments and in seasons, to turn back, even for just a moment, like Lot's wife. But there is a power in continuing to choose Jesus, to look forward, to strive ahead. You may not have all the comfort, you may not have all the energy, you may not have everything that you desired on this side of the veil, right? We don't always get the picture-perfect, magical life we want we have him and there's a choice to make for him there's a sacrifice to make for him that I don't want to overlook but there's a sacrifice that he made for us when he should have turned back on us when he should have looked at heaven and said I'm going to just leave abandoned earth behind and everyone in it but he chose us and today I want us to choose him I don't know what season you're in I don't know what moment you're facing. I don't know what your wilderness looks like. But instead of thinking of turning back to Egypt, why don't we build a tabernacle and encounter our God face to face, praise Him in whatever form He comes in, and continue to seek Him in any situation and circumstance we find ourselves in. So God, we pray to you before we even come before you and worship God. Help us not to turn back. Help us to keep our eyes and our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our spirits focused and set on you and you alone, our cornerstone and our foundation, God. 
God, as things try to tempt our vision left or right, keep our gaze fixed on you, God, on your burning and beautiful eyes, God. God, may we be bold in the face of things that would tear us away from you, God. God, may we remember instead of the comforts of things past, may we remember the beauty, the glory of things ahead that you have called good, that you have planned, that you are working in the midst of everything else we face, God. God, may we choose you instead of ourselves. May we choose holiness instead of happiness. May we choose a man who chose us, even when there was no reason to. We love you, Jesus, today. Help us to trust you in this choice today, God. It is your holy and almighty name that we pray together. Amen. Oh, 
put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation.
the head, Lord, I'll still say, I'll still bless you when the storms roll in, blow my life down. I'll still bless you when the path gets dark, you will be our light, so we sing. I'll still bless you when my heart, when my body fails, when the world fails us. I'll still bless you when the cost is great, when the sacrifice is great to us. I'll still bless you when we've lost what we thought that we
have decided only Jesus no turning back no turning back I have decided only Jesus no turning back no turning
Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the almighty God. Father, no one's like you. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Daddy, today we enter into your presence. We enter into this place, Lord God. We are saying yes. We are matching. We are saying yes. We are agreeing with your yes. Your yes. That all of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. We are already, Lord God, saying yes. Yes, Lord God, all, with all of our heart, all that we are. Daddy, whatever is in the way today, whatever is in the way, whatever hinders our relationship, whatever has taken higher priority, a, a higher precedent in our life than you, we lay it down today. Daddy, just forgive us. Move in this place. Burn away, Lord God, the idols. The, bring low the high places. Let the principalities and powers of darkness tremble in fear of the power and the authority of the name of Jesus. Sickness, disease, depression, anxiety, worry, stress, lies of the enemy that we've believed and adjusted our life to in the name of Jesus. We just release those things from our life. Today, Jesus, we say we trust you. Today, Jesus, we say yes, Lord. Not to religion, yes to Jesus. Not to a great church service, yes to Jesus. To being in your presence, to letting our life go for you. Daddy, whatever is cold in our heart, fan it into flames today with a passion for you. What a dangerous prayer, church, we prayed. 
What a dangerous prayer, church, we prayed. Jesus, have my heart. Jesus, have it all. We didn't just sing a song. Worship is prayer to a beat. We cried out and said, God, you can have it all. You know, that's a scary proposition from our perspective at times. But he's faithful and true. Even when I don't see the end of it, he does. Even when I can't line it up, he is. Even when it's a Friday crucifixion or a Saturday stone being in place, I know that I know that I know that my God is moving behind the scenes because it might be Friday, it might be Saturday in our life, but Sunday's coming because Jesus is faithful and he's risen from the dead. The resurrection is the greatest promise of our life. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your week has held. Uh, My week has been insane. But what we said this morning is right. I can't change any of it. Like Jesus at times brings you to a place where if it's not him, you're in trouble. But if you, anyone ever been in that place? Anyone in that place? Can I tell you, you're in a good place. Because that's where faith exists. Hey, Peter, step out of the boat and walk on water. I can't do that. I didn't ask you if you could walk on water. I asked you, can you step out of a boat? Man, I don't know about you, but my life is filled with, hey, Kyle, I'm not asking you to do what I know I can do, but I am asking you to step out of a boat moment. What a faithful God we serve. That's why religion doesn't work. Religion can't work because it puts all the emphasis on you having to do it. Christianity is the promise that Jesus will do it on our behalf. From the cross to the grave and everywhere in between, this is all about Jesus. Don't get confused. This is all about Jesus. And today I just wanted to end this moment of worship with, can we pray the prayer that the Lord taught us how to pray? And I know some of us maybe grew up praying that prayer in religious circles and maybe it has a liturgical feel to it. Maybe just take a moment to realize that's not what it ever was meant to be. This is Jesus just saying, you want to get a hold of daddy? Here's his number. You you, you want to talk to him? Here it is. What a beautiful opportunity. If you don't know the Lord's prayer, it's awesome. It's, It's cool. The words are going to be up on the screen. But I want to invite us to pray this together, can we? Can we, let's just pray this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Come on, can we give that God some praise today? Hallelujah, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives, in this church, in our nation, in our world. Daddy, we need you. We need you, Jesus.
don't need good church services. We need the presence of a king. The authority of the living God. Come and move in this place. We give you the glory. Hallelujah. Man, church, I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so glad. If Look, if this is your first or second time here at Connect, welcome. Thank you for being our guest this morning. Thank you for coming out in these dog days of summer where it's 9,000 degrees. Hallelujah. Today it's not like it's walking on the surface of the sun. It's good. We're kind of just like a little bit away from the sun. It's fantastic. It's so good to have you today. Look, if you are a guest, we'd really like to, to get you guys to get to know us. We'd love to get to know you a little bit more. On the screen and all over the place, you're going to see a QR code. You can just kind of hop on that. Let you know a little bit more about us. But please let us know about your story. Because for us, church isn't just about a Sunday morning event. It's about how do we live this life together. Because the one thing that I know that I've learned over my 55 years of doing church and not doing church, of living for Jesus and not living for Jesus, is on both sides of that coin, I can't do it alone. I can't. And neither can you. Because we were never meant to live outside of the community of God. We are better together. And we are better in diversity in our unity. Man, it's so good to see you this morning. Hey, we love our children here as well. We love raising up the next generation. So kiddos, can you follow Vito, Pastor Lisa, Pastor Kevin on out? Give them a hand, guys, as they're going. Hey, as you're being seated, find somebody to come to church with. Give them a high five, an air high five, a fist pump. Tell them it's good to see them this morning in the house of God. Hey, before we hop into the word, I just want to uh, ask for, I'm going to ask one thing and invite you to something else. Um, I'm going to ask you for prayer. Pastor D this morning, my wife is, um, she is uh, at the emergency room with our dog, Harlow. She's just a puppy. She had surgery just uh, 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 two weeks ago, and she's just not doing well. So we really appreciate, because, you know, I'm not only please pray for our dog, right? That's awesome. But, um, but you know, as a mama, you know, when, when mama and the, and, when you're, a ma- when you're a mama and things aren't going right, you lose a little. Anybody else need prayer when you're a mama? And a- Thank you for praying for her. Uh, and pray for me because uh, she's my dog and I love her. Um, but hey, I want to just, you know, here at church, if you uh, are newer today, one of the things that we really believe in and are founded on here, one of the things that kind of after the pandemic, we really wanted to help uh, us all step into is really walking this thing out in discipleship. Not just being a believer for God and in God and in Jesus. Those things are great. That's how we get to heaven. But really walking it out in a real way uh, with a real God in a real world. Like we face real problems and real issues in this world. And so we really need to know how to apply the word of God. And so we do that through men's discipleship groups called Forge and ladies' discipleship groups called Shoulder to Shoulder. But... And so they meet weekly, and uh, it's phenomenal teaching, it's great time, it's a, a great time for sharpening each other, but uh, the Lord just kind of impressed on Danielle and I over the last little bit. There's a word in scripture called selah, and uh, I'm, not a mu- I'm, not a, I'm not a musician, Danielle's the musician, I don't, I, like, like I, I can't carry a tune in a bucket, anybody. I, I, one of my favorite verses is make a joyful noise to the Lord, amen, that's awesome. Like, I've got to deal with God. When I get to heaven, I get two things. A lion, because that's cool, and I can sing. That's awesome, right? That's, that's really what I want. I'm not a musician. 
But Selah is actually a measure of rest. It's the time in music where you take a breath. And I really wanted to encourage us, for the next month, we're just going to take a Selah moment when it comes to uh, the people who are being discipled, the people who are leading discipleship, just so that we can... That doesn't mean that we're not going to lean into God and press into His Word. and all. We're not stopping church for the month. But sometimes, that's why the Sabbath is so important. Because sometimes you just need to breathe. Sometimes life can feel so busy and so full that even discipleship becomes something else on the list. And it loses its value because it is feeling like it's robbing us of breath rather than actually the thing that brings the breath. So we're just going to, just for a month. After Labor Day, we're back. And it's just, and can I just say, it's not just because it's summer. Because sometimes we were like, I know it's summer. And, and no, it's not just because of that. It really isn't. Because there can be Selah moments and there may be Selah moments in February. Or in March. It doesn't matter. It's listening to the voice of God and knowing when it's time to... <sighs> Anyone else feel like it's time to... <sighs> Anyone else have so much on your plate? That it would be nice just to, it's time to breathe. Selah. Enjoy your Selah moment, church. I know he will. Well, are you ready for your word? Are you ready for the word this morning? I'm so ready for the, this side of the room is ready for the word today. I don't know, I don't know if it's this side over here. I don't know, are you guys ready for the word? Because that side, that side was way louder than this side. All right, okay, good. All right, good. I thought maybe, well, I, thought, I thought maybe everybody was sleeping. Everyone was, oh, pastor said, Selah, cool, right? I'm out. Fantastic. It's not my fault. God, pastor said, Selah. Hey, look, since you brought your Bible, open with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. John is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, written by the apostle John, uh, who was there from the beginning with Jesus. He, he's an eyewitness of these things. Matter of fact, that's what he says in his book. He's an eyewitness. He's not, he, he didn't hear this. He saw all this. And uh, we're going to talk, we've been talking about, we've been going through the book of John in Forged, which is our men's discipleship, which we just talked about. And we've just been wrestling with it. How do I, how do, how do I see the majesty of Jesus in this? And I came across this, these, this chunk of verses that I really kind of hit me where we are in our life today. In one of the greatest traps that we as men and women of God struggle with, especially in our world. And it's the pressure that comes from other people's expectations. I know probably no one else in this room struggles with the pressure from other people's expectations. I'm sure I'm the only one that has issues with other people's opinions, expectations, what they want on your life, expect from your life. This is one of the greatest traps of our life and it tends to be one of the greatest pressures in our life. And so today we're just gonna talk about it. And if you're a type A person like me, maybe, or, or a people pleaser, you like to keep the peace, this probably has more weight to it, too. So today, if you need a, message, a title for my message, it's prove it. Prove it. Have you ever felt like you had to prove something to someone else? Prove you're worth keeping and not leaving? Prove that you're good enough? Prove that you're right? Prove that we can succeed no matter what they think? Prove that we're not crazy? Prove that God is real and Christianity is right. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. 
And the weight of that pressure, my friends, can become so unbearable in our life, as well as have this subliminal effect over our lives. It can constantly, it will constantly and subliminally become the catalyst that motivates every action and reaction of our being. How should I act? What would they like me to be? How can I prove to them this is who I am? That word becomes the catalyst. But maybe the greatest trap for us today comes from when we feel like we have to prove it to ourselves, right? When the cacophony of voices in our head, right, that, that are speaking to our soul, convinces our soul to prove it. Oh, I thought, uh, I thought you said you were a person of faith. Prove it. I thought you said you loved Jesus. Prove it. I thought you said that you were holy. Prove it. I thought you said you were a good Christian. Prove it. And the end result of this is that we end up living continually guided by our own filters and living void of the peace of God that passes all understanding. So we're in this where we're trying really hard, but we're frustrated time and time again that we don't have peace because it's our own filters that are determining how we respond to the situations of our life. Am I speaking to anyone or just me? The good news is that we're not alone in this. Jesus was tempted time and time and time again in this area with people saying, prove it. Jesus, prove to me that you're the Messiah. Prove to me uh, that I should listen to you. Prove to me that you're not crazy. You're not a nutter. Prove to me. Prove to me that I should listen to you and change my life off of what you have said. Prove it to me. Even up to the last moment of his life. Do you remember this? There's the thief, the other thief on the other cross that says, hey, Jesus, if you really are him, prove it and get us, all, get us down from here. Even up to that last breath, so how did Jesus handle it? And can we handle it? Because the truth is, we will, if we can't handle it, if we don't get this truth that we're going to learn today, we're going to end up being like hamsters on a hamster wheel, just running and running and running, wearing ourselves out and actually going nowhere. And the enemy and all the enemy has to do to direct and diminish our lives is to keep a stream of people speaking into our ear. Prove it. Prove it, Kyle. Prove it. Prove it, Ron. Prove it you're that way. Prove it. And the enemy is directing and diminishing us with every voice we listen to. We see this in this text. Jesus has just come up from the, the temple on Passover, right? He's there on Passover. And many even made this story. He comes in and he starts flipping over the tables. And he drives out the money lenders because they're selling defective animals in order to worship as a sacrifice. And so because they're selling defective animals, they're actually hindering people's ability to be forgiven and have intimacy with God. Because it wasn't just that you had to make uh, sacrifice a lamb to be forgiven, you had to sacrifice a lamb without defect. So it wasn't just the ability to have something, it was the right thing, and that's not what they were producing. And I love what the Word of God says in that text. It says, uh, by the way, it says, um, the Word of God the zeal, the zeal of the Lord consumed him. We would say, that guy's on fire for God. When, when we are on fire for God, do you know how often the voice of religion, 
the voice and the expectation of others and the voice of the enemy through others is spoken into our life time and time and time again because all he has to do to direct and diminish our life is for us to respond to the voices of expectation that he speaks into our life let's look at this verse let's look what does what does the enemy say What's the religion say? Verse 18 says, When the Jews saw this, they responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this? Hey, Jesus, prove it. Prove you are who you say you are. And Jesus answered them this way, Destroy the temple, and I'll raise it up again in three days. And they're like, oh, I can't believe you just said that. I mean, you don't know how this long this took. Do you know how long this took? And we know he wasn't talking about the real temple. He was talking about his own life. He said, you can destroy this temple, but in three days, I will resurrect it again. See, the key is, my friends, when challenged, Jesus always comes back to his true self. And I believe that's the same truth for you and I. That when we are challenged with these things to prove it, we need need to not come back to our true selves, but his true self in us. Because so often we'll come back to our truth. This is kind of how, well, this is how I was raised. Or this is really how I feel. This is really the way I've always been. Yeah, that's brokenness. But if I can go back to the true self that he has created me to be, who does he say I am? Not how do my feelings say that I am? Not does what does my past speak about me? What does not do other people around me think of me? What does God say? Because in this moment, that's the foundation. That allows us to lead with peace. Look at verse 23. Because they're flipping out. It says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Underline that. Highlight it. Circle it. Put it in. Underline that moment. Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in a man. I love this. Before we even hop in further, I love how God connects all this, by the way. Right? The Jewish people with whom Jesus came to reveal that he is the Messiah is asking him for a sign to prove that he is the Messiah on the feast of Passover, which in and of itself is already a sign, right? It's the innocent lamb was going to be slain roasted over the fire of judgment so that death would pass over and they would be set free from the slavery from which they could never set themselves free from on their own. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Matter of fact, three years later at Passover, he would give them the ultimate sign of his reality by the cross and the resurrection. Come on. What a God we serve. But for us, the pressure to prove it is the point where our authenticity collides with our holiness. Where the how real will I be collides with who determines the real that I should be. When we feel the pressure of other people's expectations, it always hits us with the question, how real am I going to be now? And who's going to determine the real that I should be? Should I be what they say to make them happy, to keep the peace, to make sure that I don't rock the boat? Or do I go back to my true self, which is Christ in me, the hope of glory? 
This is where many of us live every day in our lives, in our marriages, in our, fam in our extended families. When you go away for vacation or holidays with people, you live right here. Collisions. Who determines what real is going to be for me? And the truth is, our kingdom nature, the part of God that's inside of us, has its authenticity and its integrity founded upon holiness. It's why we've been talking about how do we learn how to live within holy restraint. What is holy restraint? Holy restraint is the boundaries of the word and being buttressed by the word. It, it keeps us living within God's holy boundaries and supports us through the holiness of God that comes into our life that gives us peace even when we can't figure it out. It's why Peter says in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy because God is holy. So our real is determined by God, not either by our actions or other people's expectations. Not either by either of those two things. Now that doesn't mean that we always are living out what is real because this is where our fallen nature our selfish, our insecure, I can, our, our need for approval, I can identify with this. Our need for approval nature collides with our spiritual nature. This is where Jesus is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 26, 41, where he says, look, your spirit's willing. I know you really do want to live for me, but there's something inside of you, your flesh, it's weak. He's talking about this collision. Who decides what's real? What's real going to look like? Because I know what I say, but man, when we're living to please others, that real may change. This is the trap that they're laying for Jesus here. They know the Messiah would come with signs and wonders, right? That's actually what Isaiah 35 says. They know the word. They're the Pharisees. They're the leader. They know the word. Isaiah 35 verse 5 says, and what? How will they know when the Messiah comes, the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will walk, the mute will speak? All these things will happen. Matter of fact, Jesus actually quotes that back to John the Baptist in Matthew 11. Do you remember John gets arrested? He's in prison. He's starting to wonder if Jesus is actually real now. And he says, he sends his disciples. And Jesus says, hey, tell John what you see. What does he say? What do you see? The lame walk. The blind see. The deaf hear. The mute speak, right? He's going back to what Scripture says. Because Jesus Jesus, his life is always lined up on what God said and who God is. He does not line up his life on the expectations of other people, even if they're the closest family members he's got, like John the Baptist's cousin. He's not going to allow others to determine his life for him. By the way, isn't it interesting how a change in public opinion and a change in situation can often make us question who Jesus is? Right, do you remember, just a little bit before this, John the Baptist is at the river, and he's like, Jesus, he's the lamb, this lamb God, take joy in the world, it's Jesus, not even worthy, untie his sandals, it's Jesus. Public opinion changes, circumstance changes, and now he goes, I'm not sure. Did Jesus change, or did the circumstance and his filter change? Come on, how often, how, how many of us have ever had someone take a scripture, most of the time out of context, and make us try to prove it? One of, the, one of the most probably ones that you hear the most is this, I thought you were supposed to forgive. 
I thought you were so, it doesn't feel, your actions don't feel like forgiveness to me. And anyone. I thought Christians were supposed to forgive. No, no, no. See, what they're missing is this. What they're missing is this. That forgiveness and repentance have to be tied together for restoration to be possible. See, we, we, we can't, the cross doesn't just forgive us. Jesus said that we have to be forgiven and then repent, walk in a different direction so that we can actually have our relationship with God restored. People want to be, I forgive people automatically because forgiveness is on me. But if there's no repentance, if there's no change of direction, we can't have a relationship while you're still abusing me. So this is the truth. When we try to live in half of the scripture, we lose the power of the full truth. When we try to live in half the scripture, we will lose the power of the full truth. I know, but they're family. I don't want them upset with me. I just want to keep the peace. I don't want to rock the boat. We're losing the power of the full truth. Because the Bible says, when you know the truth, when you're intimate with the truth, when you've applied the truth, then the truth has the power to set us free. But when we give in to the half-truth, we lose the When we give in to the half-scripture, we give in to the power of the full truth. We lose it. That's a trap for us. And the trap for us, as it was for Jesus, and I think probably were the disciples, is look what was happening here. This moment came from the right place, right? These leaders, it came from Scripture. They're like, Scripture says, if you're the Messiah, there'll be signs and wonders. It came from Scripture. It came from the right pace, place. It came from the right people. The people Jesus was trying to reveal himself to and have a relationship with, right? And many times, our biggest struggles come with people who bring the seemingly from the right place, come on, with the right people, but the problem was it did not have the right authority to do what it promised to do because it was not founded in holiness. Because we need to see why Jesus is so upset here and why they were responding the way that they were responding. He's upset because they are selling people something they didn't have the power to fulfill. They were selling them defective sacrifices, which meant that sacrifice, even though it was made, had no power to do what the sacrifice was meant to do, which is to bring forgiveness and close the gap of intimacy between them and God. Basically, what they were saying to people is, come on, if you get what I'm selling, you'll be good. If you get what I'm selling, you'll be good. If you get what I'm selling, we'll be good. No. Jesus is saying no. Because what they're selling will not, even though it looks right, it's defective at its core. Therefore, it cannot produce what they're telling you and selling you on that it can produce in your life. And if you just be different, if you would just change this stance, we'd be okay. You'd be welcome at Thanksgiving if you would just kind of not be so religious. This is what people's expectations are. They're defective offerings. They sell us on the fact that they will produce something in us that they have no power to deliver upon. That's why Jesus is frustrated. 
It's why we're frustrated and have so lack of peace so often, even when we're trying. We try, anyone try to do what people, they say, if you'll just do this, we are, I'm going to try to keep the peace. And we do it, and there's still no peace. Right? Because the terrorist has another, I'm sorry, the person has another yeah. ransom after that. And they're not bad. They're just broken like us. That's why we do the same thing. We'll get there. Hold on. Because like, we ain't clean. I'm just saying we have to understand the big picture here of what happens. They're selling us defective offerings and we're wondering why we're still unclean. I bought a product the other day. Um, I was so excited to get it. And, and, and they only had two in stock, right? So I paid for it. And uh, immediately it sent me the email that it's going to be delivered on July 13th. So excited. July 13th. July 13th came. Nothing. 14th, nothing. 15th, nothing. 16th, 17th, 18th, nothing. Finally, I get an email on the 21st that says this. Thank you for canceling your order. I said, what? I picked up the phone and I called them and I said, I did not cancel my order. And they said, yeah, I know. We sent that email because the buyer... Uh, the, the seller doesn't want to sell it at that price anymore. How they worded it was this. There was a mistake in pricing. Not my problem. That's a different story. But come on. They took the order but couldn't fulfill it. And what made it worse is they blamed me for canceling it when it was on them. Anyone ever have someone not deliver something and then make it your fault? Right? They said if you did all this thing and then you do it and then they go, you didn't do it. You're so, no, you, you still didn't. What? You still didn't forgive me. Yes, I have. You are not repenting. Here's the problem. That sets our soul up to get gaslit. Because our soul is more used to being connected to the opinions of people than to the truth of the word of God. So subtly and subliminally, we start to wonder in our minds, well, maybe it is my fault. Maybe I did, can did I push the cancel button? When I was looking, oh, I did look a bunch of times for delivery updates. Did I do it? Right? I mean, uh, could I have made them more happy? If only I gave them more attention, would they have stayed? Now I'm going to have to prove to my next boss, my next partner, my next church, I'm worth keeping around. And the devil gets his foothold in directing and diminishing our life. And in that subtle moment, we begin to adjust our authenticity. We begin to change. We begin to reorder our sense of what is real or what should be real. And in so doing, we lose our peace and we can't put our finger on why. Because we have changed the real. We've readjusted from the wrong place. We bought the defect of sacrifice and thought it was going to make us whole. We're still broken. It's what the enemy tried to do with Jesus, didn't he? If you are the son of God do this or do that but Jesus said man I got nothing to prove to you I know who I am 
I'm not only the son of God, devil, I am the loved son of God. I am beloved no matter what I do. I am loved. And oh, by the way, John 10, 30, he said, I and the Father are one. We are unified. Here's my whole intention in life. I'm going to live out for the glory of God. Whatever the Father says, I'm on it. That's how one we are. The issue for us as disciples is the space where we are not one with the Father is the hole through which our sense of peace often falls. The space that we leave between ourselves and intimacy with the Father becomes the hole through which our sense of peace often is lost. What we need to see is Jesus here. Jesus never feels like he has to prove himself, but rather constantly falls back on allowing the glory of God to be the guide through which he can be, that he can reveal God's glory to the world. How can I reveal God to the world? How can I live out who I am and who he has made me to be? That may sound semantical, but it's very different because those things come from very different places. I've got to prove it or I get to reveal it. I've got to prove it or I just got to reveal it. So the question we have to ask ourselves, I hope today, is who is the initiator of our actions? Who? Who are you trying to prove wrong? Something your dad said when you were five? A teacher said when you were in high school? A girl who dumped you, who you thought was going to be it? Who? Who's initiating our actions? I think one of the greatest traps for us is that we feel like we're responsible, especially in this Christian world, for proving God to people. I gotta prove God. Pastor, I gotta, I just gotta, I gotta prove God. I have to prove God. I gotta prove that God's real to these people. I gotta, I gotta get them saved. I gotta get them, I gotta prove that God, can I, let me, let me take the weight off you. You can't. Not your job. You cannot prove that God is real to people. Not your job. Your job is to love them with the love of Jesus. Your job is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Your job is to have grace in a world filled with hate. Yes. Yep. You can't prove God. Matter of fact, Paul, one of the greatest influencers the world has ever seen for the kingdom, he says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, Man, when I came to you, I didn't come with persuasive words of wisdom. I didn't try to persuade you to prove God. I just came with demonstrations of the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying his life was directed by the fruit of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit, not by the expectations of people. He didn't do these things to prove anything to anyone, but rather revealed who God was by living his life to worship God, not to meet the expectations of humanity. I'm just going to live my life to worship God. How do I do that? What does he say I'm called to be? Who has he created me to be? Who is he and who am I not yet? And how can I let him change who I am to reveal him through me? The greatest gift you can give the world is an authentic you who is an authentic worshiper of him. I think in so doing we will realize it's our opportunity to allow God through our submission to his will, through our willingness 
to, have, to wear the restraints of holiness, through intentionally living our, out our goal to worship God, the worship of the Father. Isn't this what Jesus says in the garden? What am I going to do? Not my will, Father, but yours be done. And by actually choosing to allow those factors to be the factors that determine our actions and our responses, it allows God to reveal himself through us. I don't have to prove God. God's a big enough person to prove himself. I just have to allow myself to follow him so that he can reveal himself through me. I think the issue is, if we're honest, we tend to fall into this trap because we are in desperate need of other people's approval. We have an approval addiction in this nation. We have an approval addiction in our generations. Every generation in this room, approval. We have an approval addiction because of our fallen nature. Are we okay? Are we, are we, are we okay? We're okay, right? We're okay? Are we okay? Are we all right? Are we okay? Are we all right? Are you upset? Are you are we upset? Are you upset? What, what, do I, what do I have to do to make sure? Are we, don't, don't cancel me. Are we all right? And it's magnified by social media, right? Because on one side, social media tells you you are completely and utterly inadequate. Because you look at social media, oh, I can't have a house like that. I'll never be that skinny, right? I'm like, I can't. And on the other side, it whispers into the ear of our souls, this is what it really means to be known. What a stinking lie. This, man, the more files you have, that's what it means to be known. The more likes, man, that's what it really means to be known. It's a lie. You are already known. Jeremiah 1.5, the Bible says, God, before he knitted you together in your mama's belly, he knew you. Psalm 139 says, you have searched me and you know all of me, God. You know the hair on the top of my head, the thoughts that I have, the meditation in my heart, good and bad. You know my thoughts before I think them. You are fully known already. Do you realize that when people are asked today what they want to be when they grow up, do you know what the number one answer is? To be famous. What are they saying? I want to be known by the most people I can be, while not really being known at all. Yet when we go back to a hero of the faith like David, David did not fight Goliath to be famous. He didn't say, you know what, if I fight Goliath and get that on the right TikTok, man, I'm gonna, my, it's gonna go vi I'm gonna blow up. I'm gonna be the next influencer. People will know my name. Do you know why he fights Goliath? By the way, counter to everyone else's opinion, he fights Goliath because in 1 Samuel 17, 29, it says, is there not a cause? He recognizes, it starts, who he is, his real, starts with the kingdom. Who God is, and saying, man, I don't care what other people think. I know who God is, because he's the same God when I was in the backwoods, when no one knew who I was, when I was in a just shepherd boy, when no one even knew where I was or who I was. I was watching some sheep, and the bear came out, and my God saved me. And a lion came out, and my God saved me. And man, if he saved me from the paw of the bear and the mouth of the lion, he will save me from this unholy, uncircumcised Philistine, because there's a kingdom cause. He didn't do it to get famous. His real came from who God was and how to apply that into a broken world. Matter of fact, can I be honest for a moment? As a matter of fact, 
most of the problems in, J in David's life came after he was famous. Because of this fame, he absolutely is now positioned to be assassinated. He is unemployed. Come on, right? He's homeless. He's a refugee on the run. Let me ask a question. What do we do when someone, we're looking to someone who we're looking to bless us or resource us to make us feel better actually is the one that gives us the defective offering? How would we have felt if we were one of those people standing by the tables who had just bought a lamb that we thought was going to help us and then Jesus flips over the tables and we realize we got scammed? How would we respond? How do we respond? How do we respond when we're hurt at church? Or when the people who are supposed to love us are the people who leave us? When the people who were called to protect us are actually the people who victimize us? Maybe even worse, how do we respond when we are the ones who were called to protect and aren't the victimizers? How do we respond maybe when we're not so much the one who received from the money lender the defective offering, but the money lender who gave the defective offering to our spouse or our friend or our coworker or our world. See, my friends, when we have been hurt but not healed, there's no opportunity for peace in our life. When we have been hurt and not healed, there's no opportunity for peace in our life. Tables will always be flying. Sheep will always be running. Chaos will always be reigning. But this is a lesson I think we have to learn as men and women of God. We've got to learn this. Our healing is never in the hands of another person. Your healing, is your healing is never in the hands of another person. Let it be your spouse, come on, your best friend, your buddy, your pastor, your spiritual guide, your boss. It's your healing is never in the hands of another. Our healing is only in the manifestation and application of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He said, you, it doesn't matter what they're offering you. It can't heal you. The only thing that can heal you is what I will bring to this temple, which is myself, the real me but so often we're looking for that relationship to heal me my daddy left me so I got to find a man who won't and then we realize that guy leaves too because we're looking for healing come on somebody in all the wrong places I'm looking for someone else to be my healer. But healing only comes through the application and manifestation of Jesus. The key to all this is found in tw verse 23. We're going to end in just a few. I'm taking you home because this is, we've got to get it. Especially in America, we have to get it. In our generation of, of, of being addicted to the approval of people, we have to get this. Jesus was, did not commit himself to anyone. He did not entrust himself. And it's a challenge for us because we commit ourselves to make people happy, commit ourselves to the persona that we think will make us most acceptable to the crowd we want to be accepted by. We commit to proving our opinions right at all costs. We commit to a sense of real that like the main lamb that was sold has no ability or no authority to do what it costs us to buy. We have spent so much relational revenue, so much emotional revenue, 
so much spiritual revenue trying to buy what only God can bring. It's why we're bankrupt in our emotions when we're bankrupt in our spirit because we've spent the resource on defective animals that have no power to bring back the cost that you bought it for. A few weeks ago, we talked about this man in 1 Kings 13, a man of God, do you remember, who goes to the king and, and he prophesies over the king and the king's hand was, was paralyzed and he, he prayed so that the, man, the king could be healed. And there was this amazing moment. But then the Bible tells us that this man of God, leaving this victorious moment, is on his way going home and a prophet of God stops him and invites him back to his house. And 1 Kings 13 verse 16 says, I can't go. This is the man. He says, I can't go. The, God told me not to eat here, stay here, drink here. I can't do it. I got to go. I got to go. But here's the problem. Even though the word said no, he stayed to make the prophet happy. He stayed to make the prophet happy. Do you know what happens? This is not a joyful story. Verse 24, this man of God who just did this miracle had this great moment, is on his way going home. The Bible says a lion jumps out of the woods, eats him, and leaves him laying dead on the side of the road. I don't know about you, that's a messed up story. He just had this awesome moment. He turns the heart of the king around. He saves the people. Woo! Uh-huh. And then the word of God said, don't do, and he did. The truth is, my friends, we will always remain vulnerable when we commit ourselves to the will of another. The will of another. You know what's interesting about me, for me in that story? I don't know about you, but I, I, we, I think we probably think that the person who manipulated the situation, right, the prophet who manipulated the situation, shouldn't he be the one that got killed by the lion? Like, he's the one, right? He, he, he messed it all up. He was like, no, 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 just come to my house. God won't mind. God won't mind. It's all good. I'm a prophet. God won't mind. He loves me too. I'm a child of God too. He loves me too. I know God said no, but it's all good. He loves me. Don't you think he's the one that should be lying dead by the side of the road? Do you know where he is? Home, safe and sound. Isn't that the way it is so often in our lives, right? When we go against what we know to be right in order to feel all right. The other person is at home. They're safe and sound. We are lying by the side of the road shattered and broken and bleeding with no peace. And they're over there like, woohoo, everything's great. Let's have a party. And you're like, God, this is not fair. They did it. And he said, I'll deal with them later. I'm dealing with you right now. You left yourself vulnerable by committing yourself to the will of another. But Jesus did not commit himself to anyone. And I know that sounds a bit strange, right? Because it sounds like maybe Jesus didn't have, uh, he didn't trust people or he didn't have faith in humanity. But that's not what he's saying here. The reality is he just didn't entrust them to determine his actions. He didn't entrust them to determine his security or his identity. That Greek word for commit is the Greek word pistis. It's actually the same word for faith. Basically, Jesus did not have faith 
did not put his faith in other people. Now, that's really important because you and I are supposed to be, Romans 1, 10, uh, 117, people who live by faith. But in order for to live by faith, we have to understand what faith is. Faith is hearing the word of God, believing the word of God, and trusting God to accomplish it. Hearing the word of God, believing the word of God, and trusting God to accomplish it. But when we commit, put our faith in others to bring about a healing in us that they are offering us that's defective, what we are actually doing is hearing the word of the speaker, believing the word of the speaker, and trusting the speaker to accomplish what they do not have the authority or ability to accomplish in our lives. We are buying a defective lamb and wondering why we're still unclean, still broken, and still lacking peace. The hardest truth about all of that, and this is where we, I hope we actually grab a hold of it because it set us free. When we commit our, ourselves to the will of another, it's actually a form of idolatry. When we allow another voice to be louder than God's voice, when we are believing another word, another person's word above God's word, when we are trusting another being's power to accomplish what only God can accomplish, it is a golden calf moment. Just like the Israelites were expecting something from the golden calf that popped out of the fire, it had no power to do what it promised to do. We are placing our hope in the wrong things. I'm not telling you that we don't have good relationships. I'm not telling you to not try to make sure that we can live in peace with all people as long as it is up to us to do so. But I am saying that when the word says no, no matter who stands in front of you and says, but I'm a child of God, come to my house, you can eat with me. I'm sorry, it's not personal, but it is holy. Yet here's the beauty of it all. Jesus gave his whole self to the people. He didn't commit to them. He didn't commit to making them happy, commit to making them like him, commit to allowing them to determine his sense of wholeness or to determine where his peace would lie. He committed himself to holiness. He was founded in grace so he could give it away. He was motivated by love so he could love even the most unlovable. He was focused on the will of the Father so he lived to only please him no matter what anyone else said. Think about this. He gave himself away still knowing they wouldn't believe. Still knowing they would chant in the crowd, crucify him, crucify him, crucify They would betray him, deny him, and walk away from him. But he was still committed to them because he was committed to the will of the Father, not the whims of man. God's greatest will is that none should perish and all should come to eternal life. God's greatest desire is to reveal himself to people so that people can know the greatness of God in the land of the living. What an opportunity we have. As disciples, my friends, this is our call. We are not responsible for other people's opinions. We are responsible for our character in any situation. 
I'm going to say this again. Get it tattooed on your heart, your mind, your right arm if you have to. Get it tattooed on the back of your hand. You are not responsible for anyone else's opinion of you. But you are responsible for your character in every situation that you face. And that character has to be his character, not ours. We need to commit ourselves to the will of the Father to the restraint of holiness, to stewarding his house. Isn't that what Jesus is doing? He's stewarding his house in this moment, flipping out tables outwardly, and he's living for the glory of God inwardly. He's stewarding his house, and we need to commit ourselves to giving ourselves away for his glory, not for our glory, not for our acceptance, not for our approval, not for the pat on the back, not to keep the peace, not to make them happy. Not so I have a happy wife and a happy life because that's crap. It's a holy wife and a holy life. Come on, somebody. It is a holy child and a holy, uh, a holy kid. That's what it's about. At the end of the day, this is what we commit ourselves to because Jesus didn't commit himself to people because he knew what was in people. Yet he still, in the midst of it, gave himself to all people. He gave of himself from himself. And we need to give of ourself from his self. But pastor, I don't know if I have that in me. We have to give of ourself from his self. You've got that in you. Because 2 Corinthians 12 tells me this, when I am the weakest, he is the strongest. You're right, it hurts sometimes. It hurts sometimes to be more committed to him, to making him joyful than our mother-in-law happy. Come on, it's it's uncomfortable sitting across the table from some folk. It's uncomfortable sitting across the pew from some folks too. It's easier to leave than it is actually to deal with offense. But see, we're committed to holiness. These are just what we go through every day in our life. But Jesus is giving us the answer. I don't need to know what is in all men. If I could just figure out her, if I could just figure out what they really, if I could just figure out them, then I know what they need for us to be okay. I don't need to know what is in all men because Jesus already does. I need to know what, is it, what Jesus is in me. That's why in John 6, 68, the, Jesus tells them they got to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, and a whole bunch of disciples leave. Tons of disciples leave. Jesus looks at the other 12 and says, y'all going to leave too? You, you going? And Peter says, I'm not going anywhere. I know who you are. Only you have the words of eternal life. I don't need to know why they left. I don't need to know their opinion. I don't need to know their side of the story. I know who you are. That's all I need to know. Because from that place, I'll make my decisions. This is where peace lies. This is where the real exists. This is the condition in which worship is expressed. This is the state in which idolatry is broken. The power that other people have over our lives to control our lives, to control our sense of peace or joy or wholeness or self is shattered. This is the life in which the true lamb is glorified through us. And it is for his glory and his glory alone. Just as we end this, as we reflect Revelation 12, verse 11, 
tells us how we really prove it. You want to know how to really prove it? This is what it says. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. By what Jesus did. By the grace and, who, and the goodness of who he is. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. What God was doing in their life. What God had changed. How they could trust him. How they could rely on him because God is God and we're not. And they feared they, they, and they did not love their lives even unto death. Even unto death. They would not exchange the real lamb for a golden calf. They would not commit to the opinions of others, but only to the holiness of the Father. They would not try to prove it. They just decided to live it even if it meant their deaths, even if it meant that other people were coming for them, even if it meant that other people were bringing the knives to stick in their backs, the lions that would destroy their lives, the rocks that would crush their bones. I am committed because I love him even unto my death. I will not exchange the real lamb for a golden calf. People are phenomenal. And they are gifts of God into the world. But they are broken. How do I know that? Because we're all one of them. They do not have the power or the ability to bring the healing to the hurt that you have. That promise is a defective lamb. Jesus did not commit himself to people, but he put his faith in the will of his father that's my invitation here's the truth we're going to fumble this 5,000 more times in our life we'll have heard this and said yes to it and agreed with it in our heart and this week we're going to have a run in with our boss or our friend or co-worker and we're going to buy the defective lamb. Try to keep the peace. Okay. Just repent. Okay. Okay. All right. Do you know what's so beautiful about this moment? Jesus turns over the tables, but he doesn't shut down the sacrifices. He never stops. He never stops giving us the opportunity to come to forgiveness. So what? But I will tell you this. If you really want peace, if you really want to know what wholeness can be like, find out who Jesus says you are. Find out what the Word of God says how to have a healthy relationship. Commit yourself to what God's Word says. Hearing it, believing it and trusting he can accomplish it even when we can't 
I have situations in my life I don't know on this side of the veil if my God is ever going to bring on this to him. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to keep positioning myself. I'm going to keep hearing his word about that relationship. I'm going to keep trusting in God to do what only he can do. I can't step in to do something that he has not empowered me to do, but I can pray and I can keep soft before him and I can keep surrendering to his will and I can keep trusting the power of God to move a mountain that I can't move. That's where peace exists, even when chaos reigns. The peace that passes all understanding is only understood when the world around it cannot understand it. Let's pray. My God, my King, Jesus, holy, holy, holy. Hey, we're just going to take a moment before we even pray together. I'm just going to ask you to maybe take a moment to be honest with God. If during today anything sparked inside of you and said, man, I, I bought that defective lamb. I'm, I'm the peacemaker or the peacekeeper. I'm, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. I offered the defective lamb to try to make sure that people are okay with me. Why don't you just ask for forgiveness and repent? Just right here, right now. I'm just going to be quiet for a few moments. Do some business with God, and then we'll pray. Maybe today, if you're here and you can just say, man, to be honest, I commit myself to the will of so many people and so often I drop the ball when it comes to God. Today, I wanna be all in for Jesus. We're just gonna pray and we'll all pray together. But when you pray it, pray from the bottom of your heart and let God do the work. Can you pray this prayer with me? Just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today, I've come to give you every part of my life. I'm holding nothing back. I'm committing myself to you and to you alone. As my Lord, as my Savior, as my King. Forgive me for all the times I missed it. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I may choose to live for your glory and your glory alone. Give me boldness and strength in the midst of my journey because I love you and I want to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, church, let's give God just some glory for who he is, that God is a God of the second chance. 
third chance and fourth chance. Hallelujah. Hey, my friends, look, if you prayed that prayer or want to know a little bit more about how to make Jesus Lord of your life or take us some next steps afterwards, Pastor Rick and Kathy right over here, they'd love to meet you back here at this table. We have a free book uh, that we'd love to get, get to you, uh, be able to pray with you for a moment. Because sometimes it takes us to pray with somebody after we made a decision to kind of solidify the decision in us. Something happens when we tell somebody about it. Well, look, we're just going to go, but before we do, can I encourage you and ask you to not just be a receiver today, but to be a giver. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required, but this is what I love about this. God does not want us to give out of obligation, but out of passion. So we don't give to prove that we're generous. We give to a generous God because God is awesome. We give knowing that as we give, we know those gifts change the people around us. And although we may not individually be able to change one another, we know that the, the kingdom of God can bring change into many. So if you want to give today and be a part of that, uh, you can give utilize these envelopes. You can drop them in the gold kiosk on the way out. You can give, uh, there'll be a, uh, a slide up on the screen with a QR code. There's QR codes all over as well. You can give online. If you want to give to Mission, which is, uh, this, which is TKC, our mobile food truck ministry, you can put that down there on uh, the Mission line as well or on your check or on CCB. Uh, because that money goes to support what we do, feed people in our community, make sure that people get to know the love of Jesus in a tangible way. I don't want to prove to them that there's Jesus, but I sure want to reveal to them there is. The truck, the food truck doesn't prove that there's a God to anyone, but it does prove, it does reveal the love of God to everyone who comes to it. God loves everyone. And everyone, no matter of socioeconomic background, history, race, ethnicity, everyone needs to be loved. Everyone needs a hug from God. And that's what we're about. Well, can you stand with me? Let me pray over you as we get ready to go. I'm so thankful you were in the house today. So grateful for you to be here. Whew. Thank you for letting me deliver that word. Now it's off me. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're like, man, I'm carrying this. I'm a, cool. All right, yeah, let's go. Now we now carry together. Father, I love you. Daddy, thank you for each and every person around this room. Thank you for everybody online today. Everybody who's checking in, everybody who's leaning into you in this room and, and, and through online. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're the risen king. We thank you, Lord, that there is nothing you can't do. Today, I pray that we may be committed to you, committed to the restraint of holiness, committed to the will of the Father, committed to revealing your glory each and every day in a real way. Father, I pray that you bless each and every person here. Watch over their coming and their going. May the light that shines from you enlighten their path. May your word order their footsteps. And may your spirit give them a power and a fire down deep in their soul that they cannot quench and they can't control. 
Let the name of Jesus be glorified in all we do, in all we say. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you, church. I love you. I'll see you next week. Have a great week. Have a Selah week.